0: hello fight fans and welcome to the hollywood brunettes wrestling podcast i am your host matt the store brand keanu alongside me is my tag team partner the danimal How's it going matty back and better than ever danimal it's been a while but back together tag team reunited once more hollywood brunettes What's on your mind? There's been quite a lot that's transpired since uh, we have last got together. So what's the first thing that comes to mind here for you?
1: I mean, I think we have to go with the, the news that the wrestling world's been waiting on, but uh, finally came to pass. And that's, that's the return of uh, a gentleman who I think we're kind of in the minority, but it may be a, a growing faction of not being that excited about the return of CM Punk. Uh they're headline they're using him to roll out a, a another hour of T V, which I think we can get to probably after uh talking about punk, but punk's back. What what's your reaction? What are you thinking?
0: You know you're absolutely right. Like watching him in ring uh in his first tenure with AEW, like I I was so over punk. Like I was just done because it just did not like for as talented as he once was, like, you know, father time is catching up and it's tough when you're competing with the kids, as he referred to him, who are some of the most athletic talent in the world currently. Um, it's tough though, man, because he's so damn charismatic. Like he really just has that it factor when it comes to Mike skills and things like that. And what I will say is from a booking standpoint, if they can pull this off um it could be a masterpiece I- I'll just say that because the fact that the final boss with a bringing back a CM Punk is a Kenny Omega who's still you know probably f- at the tail end of his prime but he still puts on bangers so I mean if you can culminate whatever the hell they're gonna do with them and I have some thoughts that we'll we'll get to on that but uh the fact that that's leading at the end of the road here. I mean, you got to do it. So I I have to be on board, I I have to say.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a great kind of way to look at it. That The the payoff at the end of this and what could very well be, you know, who knows, maybe it's because wrestling retirements don't count, you know, maybe Omega gets to retire punk or something like that. Because I I do think that he's a, a proud guy. And I think that, you know, the the hangman page match and the struggles with the buckshot and everything. I think he probably knows his best days are behind him. I think it's clever that they're going to be rolling him out with FTR which one is probably a great way to make sure you keep uh keep the fans in good shape because even if you are, you know, a, a purist, you don't like him being a part-timer yada yada, when FTR walks on stage, every wrestling fan's losing their fucking mind. So I think I think that's clever. I think it will roll really organically into some uh Omega and Bucks six man tags it will also kind of help hide a little of that ring rust. I think Lloyd works himself back into shape. Because the other thing too is that, you know, the injury bug is coming seriously for him, which is one of those things where it's like, you know, he's an older guy. He, you know, got out of wrestling and decided to go into one of the few things that's probably more detrimental to your body, and that's someone intentionally trying to harm it as opposed to trying to make it look like they're harming it. Um So, no, I I think you're right about the payoff. I guess my only concern is that, you know, we know that Omega's kind of got the limited amount of bumps on his card left. I just wonder, like, could that match be a little bit of a disappointment if, you know, we're, you know, obviously like Forbidden Doors coming up and it's Omega Osprey, like, you know, an all-timer and you still got to think about, the, you know, the Brian or uh, Daniel or Brian Danielson. There it is, shaking off my own ring rust. Um, you know, you got to think about those matches. There's just a part of me that's like, if you headline a massive pay-per-view with those two, is it is it going to live up? But no, I think I think you're right. I think also for this this new show, I also heard someone talk about it being like penance, that they're putting a bunch of the guys that were kind of out of it. So they have to work weekends now, which I thought was a pretty funny concept. But uh yeah, I guess if, if the payoff works, then I'm for it. And I think it's also going to just be fun to get to see FDR headline pretty much everything while they do the three
0: man's. See, I, I think what I'm excited about is, like, and, and it's, again, this is all in my head, and, and who knows if it comes to fruition, but they've always been teasing kind of these different invasion angles, and they've never quite gotten it right. Like, even with the Forbidden Door stuff, like, it always just kind of feels like... uh Oh yeah, and we have this Japanese legend, and you know, and and the wrestling historians in the audience go nuts, but guys like myself are you know scrambling to get on YouTube and Wikipedia to figure out like why the hell I'm supposed to care about this this guy with bleach blonde hair who just appeared and did some signature pose, and uh, but the thing with it is like just like I think this is an era where even though this is much more of a WWE style booking, but I think they should really take a page out like what the MCU did in you know, Marvel cinema with just like you had the big Civil War back with Captain America fighting Iron Man or whatever. So you could do that with Omega, CM Punk, you know, divide the locker room, cause this big friction. And then all of a sudden they have to work together towards some greater goal, be that an invasion from you know, New Japan or whatever organization is out there. Cause I also think that there's some other ones on the horizon with, you know, all in on the coming soon rapidly as well. So I, I just think it would be really, really cool to to do the divide locker room angle and do it right. Because in this case, it's already a, it's, it's really happening, <laughs> but B just the fact that if, I could think of anyone who would be kind of like the cool, older, grizzled leader who would have to kind of lead the charge against a rival outfit. CM Punk's kind of high up there. I mean, it it purely from a booking standpoint, the in-ring part, eh, it'll it'll probably leave a bit to be desired. But, you know, I think from a storyline that could be pretty cool. No, I think I think that's
1: a really interesting concept. And I guess we can probably roll that right into uh, this, this new show, um, which the name is escaping me. But we're talking about a roster with Miro, you've got Andrade. So we have kind of more of these former WWE guys who now seem to be kind of out of the good graces of Tony Khan. So I will say that you're right in that it would be pretty easy for Punk to come in here. Rally some of these guys as the you know the guys who were given false promises and you know bait and switched and you know they came over only to get their spots taken by tony's favored evps and stuff so i i really do like that idea and i think you're right that punk is a, a mouthpiece could certainly serve him better than being kind of the the headliner of a you know, the the card or anything like that. He just gets to go out, cut a promo and then let, you know, some of these talented young guys come in and put
0: the match on. AEW Collision, I believe, is the name of the new one. And you're right. Like you alluded to this earlier and and I have to just put it out there. Like I am really, really concerned about AEW trying to sustain another hour of television. I love the idea of like the talent you mentioned, like finally getting a chance to be showcased because i think that that's been one of the things that hurts is that there's only so many hours to go around but the part that hurt that i'm concerned about is because there's only so many hours to go around it's hard to keep on the same page about what matters and particularly when you go the route of AEW where they brought in all these kind of like older talents on top of the youth where it's like hey we have to give them some shine too to remind people like you know why they matter and what have you when In actuality, some of those acts maybe don't even really deserve to be on TV anymore. Uh, (laughs) Jeff Hardy. But as a result of that, like, I I am a little concerned about this one, Dan. I'll just put that out there. Like, what are your thoughts on on an additional hour of of wrestling action for AEW in its current state?
1: I think you bring up a really good point there because they, they certainly seem to they struggle to not use the belts. Um, And I think that kind of adding some of these bigger feuds, I'm just wondering if you're going to kind of get the like, it almost reminds me of, you know, you talking about the old uh, WWE thing of like, when we don't know what to do with some names that aren't headlining, we're just going to make them a tag team. And it kind of feels like that, like we're just going to get kind of an extra hour where they're just going to kind of try to flesh out more of these like, middling storylines because even like you know thinking about okay so punk you know maybe he he starts to run in this you know whatever group but then is it just going to turn into the same kind of robotic punk's going to come out cut a promo and then you get Miro and Andrade against fill in you know indie darlings whatever that don't have anything to do it's like oh and now you're facing Dante Martin who everyone loves and doesn't have anything to do and it's like oh, who's that coming in? It's, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, another one of these. Like, oh, it's the best friends. Like, just the, these weird kind of, like, <laughs> it's not quite a storyline. And I think as you're adding more programming, that's that's what you need. Like, I think at the end of the day, you know, the pro wrestling, the televised series, people want a plot. It can't just always be, like, this is going to be a great match. Because, you know, that's kind of what the indies were for. But this is, this is supposed to rival, you know, the great you know wrestling soap opera of the wwe so i guess that's where i would worry that it could get just even more formulaic which i think's always been like a big knock on wwe by the indie fans was the whole like oh boy the you know the two head guys in the, the main event feud are going to come out a couple other guys will go and what do you know teddy long's here to make it a six-man tag like I'm just worried we can kind of see that, that it'll just be a lot of the same shtick, especially in one hour, because you can't really do too much. I mean, in AEW, that's probably two, maybe three matches in a promo in a backstage segment. So I don't know. My only hope is we get some more Mark Henry backstage. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head animal. Like my big concern with it is exactly that that WWE for for all its faults, like they are willing to lean in sometimes to even just the silliness or just have like a random storyline that kind of breaks it up. Like when when you remove that element from professional race wrestling and make everything about what's happening in the ring, well, I think it is pretty cool like how in AEW you'll see a babyface versus babyface match on occasion and and it does kind of put you in that awkward spot of not really knowing who to root for. That part's excellent, but everything else it's kind of like every single reason there's a feud it's always just like, well, he snubbed me or or he looked at me the wrong way or or we're just here and we we don't like that group because we're older than them like there's really like almost no logic as to why these people are like going to battle and putting on these banger matches together so at having just some extra added layer and that's where i was saying like i wouldn't love it if this did like the classic like wwe booking where it, literally the first episode of collision is just starts with a backroom brawl And then it immediately just cascades into like all these different figures kind of like battling with one another and and you kind of being forced to pick sides on who you actually side with here, because that was the whole CM Punk drama. But I don't know if they're going to go that route, man. Like, I have a feeling it's going to be more just, you know, whatever the faction that used to be run by Charlotte Flair's husband, it will come out and they'll like make some comment about CM Punk being old and the Chicago fans will boo and then FTR will come out and everyone will get jacked. And then it'll be a three, three on three match. So I, that as fun as the match will probably be, it, it just doesn't sound like exciting to me.
1: No, yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. you know, while you were talking there, I was kind of thinking back to, I, I think it was because the, the higher power angle you know, it was anniversary recently. So it made me think about feuds that didn't really have a plan, which then made me think about crazy feuds, which we discussed on previous podcasts. But to your point, I think there was always something for when there'd be like the weird backstage segment where a guy like gets coffee spilt on him, but then it leads to like a, a six week thing where it's like, this guy came out and spills coffee on him it costs him a match. And then it's just like, Yeah, it's a dumb storyline, but it would just give two guys, you know, matches against other guys and constant coffee-related incidents, ending in some goofy sponsored blowout, you know, like, coffee bag on a pole match or whatever. But in actuality, it's still something better to do than just, you know, like you said, just kind of this, like, come out, get a cheap pop, good guys come out, banger match, and and then repeat. So, yeah, I think, you know, I'll definitely probably keep an eye on it i'm you know constantly just you know throwing something on the old ipad so this will be another thing i can keep keep tabs on but yeah i think you're right that this may be a case of them wanting to showcase more of the talent but not realizing that you know like when we went and there was the aew dark it was like really cool to get to see all those matches but i don't think i necessarily want to tune in for it so yeah i think i think it'll definitely be worth watching and it Interesting to see how much they actually use Punk, or if this is kind of like a a bait and switch, or you know the old like he's just going to do some vignettes or pre-tape promos where it's like, oh, he just shot for you know six hours in a backstage room for every you know, you got the cue card up like and you know the great people of Cincinnati.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, my biggest fear with this. And this is actually a huge watershed moment in Tony Khan's leadership is determining like how this is truly handled. And obviously like this needs to culminate with him taking on Kenny Omega. Otherwise it's a total bust having him come back. And on top of that, it's just a matter of like how they book it. Because again, my biggest concern with this is that it comes across as Well, we paid a ton of money to get him, and he's still a draw, so we're just going to book him and a few guys we know like him here, and then we're going to reserve our other shows for the other talent that more support, you know, the young VPs who kind of built this brand, and we're just going to kind of run them kind of separate so they don't really have to interact much, and then maybe, just maybe, there'll be some crossover when eventually they get on the same page, which may be down the line, but... To me, I I just... I'm not a fan of that idea. Like, I would really, really like it if they just jump head on and this is really a situation where Tony Khan just, like, you know, basically throttles everyone backstage and says, like, hey, this this is the show. Like, this is how it needs to be. And you can hate each other, but guess what? Most of these guys didn't back in the day, and that's probably not changing anytime soon. So, you know, onwards and upwards, but... Um, I have to say, like, another one I'm curious about, what's your take on all in, you know, being, I know we discussed it being held at Wembley Stadium this year. And what are your thoughts building up to that? Because I'm, I'm going to kind of tease this with saying, like, I, even though I did not watch it, their last pay-per-view, I was not impressed based on what I, I read, like, and what highlights I saw, like, I, I actually thought they really fumbled that one pretty poorly.
1: Yeah. You know, I think one, you make a great point that I kind of feel the same and that every time I look at a card, I'm kind of like intrigued and I kind of want to buy it, but I, I, I just haven't been motivated enough to pull the trigger. And this Wembley thing I think is fascinating because you're, you're clearly bringing Punk back for that. But my question is it feels like it would be a rush to go to Omega that fast. So that's kind of my first thought is what do you, what do you use in punk for the headliner? Do you just, is this like the first volley where you do like the bucks and Omega punk FTR, you know, just the first iteration. Um, But yeah, I also feel like this could be kind of, it makes me think back to when there was the, uh, the famous kind of last WrestleMania before they switched to the two night where it was like, it ended up being like seven hours And that's kind of my concern because I feel like these cards have already gotten a little bloated. And I think that trying to do a massive stadium like that, I think they're going to be pulling out all the stops, but I just wonder if they're not thinking about like crowd fatigue. Cause I think you're going to see a lot of gimmicks, a lot of like going for the Holy shit moment. So, you know, you'll probably get, you know, death triangle doing some shit with ladders or cages You know, you'll probably see like a Blackpool Combat Club and something where, you know, you got tacks and barbed wire and shit. But I I really feel like it could be another case of, you know, almost like to to go back to our our old stomping grounds, the Salmon House, where just because you read a lot of really impressive ingredients doesn't mean it's going to be a good dish. And that's kind of where I'm wondering, <laughs> is there is this just going to be like a who's who of AEW stipulations, but then it just isn't cohesive?
0: Yeah, that that's a legit fear. And, and I think crowd fatigue is, is the most brilliant thing to focus on there because of all fans in the world, like you're telling me the folks in Wembley Stadium aren't going to let you know if they're fed up with, you know, whatever's going on. Like even my beloved, like, you know, hooligans of philadelphia like while they will cascade booze on you or, or throw garbage into a ring or what have you like it's not quite the same level of literally coming up with a song on the spot to mock your entire production like so i i mean i could definitely see that like a boring like Smosh fest with like wardlow and whomever the hell he's feuding with and it just being drowned out by some giant thing to the tune of an old classic drinking song just of to relay how bored the crowd is with what's going on. So um, I think that combined with, you know, the card, like it it seems Im- imminent to get bloated because it, it's you almost certainly will have to find a way, if possible, to get uh, Osprey over there. You have to have Pack. you have to have, you know, Jay White in some capacity, even though I know he's Australian, but you know, I I imagine that there's some crossover with the fans there. I mean, so that three right there, major bookings, and then who knows what the hell else they're going to fill up. So I am a little worried, especially because like, I think that this is a big move again on Tony Khan's part to try to establish himself as a leader on the global scale. And and what I keep coming back to, and, and it's a shame that we we haven't really had a chance to get together to discuss it. But I mean, when I compare Double or Nothing to that what is that premium live content you just you call the house shows now, uh, or the the cheaper pay- iterations of the pay per views, but the one they did in Puerto Rico, Backlash. That was a hell of a time. Like, that crowd was into it. That was so damn fun, despite the fact that you knew not much was going to change with the belts. You kind of knew all the booking, like, from the get-go. But just because of the crowd interaction, like, I think that one was far superior to anything I heard or saw from Double or Nothing. And so going for the international rank, I mean, they really kind of need to nail this one. So...
1: Yeah, I, I I think that's a great point. And I also think that there's kind of a an interesting spin too with the fact that uh, money in the bank is it, I I'm not entirely sure it's overseas. It's it's in the UK, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of talk about possibly. Uh, you know, we won't get too into WWE, but Rollins took the new belt, which isn't shocking because the guy's a workhorse and a half. But it's looking like Finn Balor could come in. So there's a chance that Balor, who beat Rollins or got injured against Rollins and basically ended his first title run, could possibly win over there as an Irishman. So there's a small part of me that feels like per usual, you know, I think the WWE may be playing a little chess here. And it's going to kind of force Tony to maybe, yeah, like you said, you know, do this like, okay, we'll figure out how to get Osprey against, you know, MJF for the title and, you know, just like kind of panic booking. So while well, I'd kind of like to see it. Yeah. I think, I think that's going to be a really interesting one. And also one, I, I, I would say I could possibly find myself watching just because of the fact that it would be like glorious, like 10 AM wrestling where I wouldn't have to disrupt much of the, the weekend schedule. So yeah, <laughs> I, I'm intrigued, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess uh Kind of moving on that note, what are your thoughts about uh about MJF and his uh, you know, growing title reign and how they're booking him both in, you know, the last pay-per-view and moving
0: forward? I think it was wise to do the Pillars match now. Uh, I, I know that like there it seemed like that kept getting pushed further and further back, but I was honestly really surprised he retained. Um, you know, the charisma's there. Like He's got that in spades. And honestly, the in-ring action, like, even though he only performs seemingly for these big shows, like, he holds up his end of the bargain big time. It's my concern with it, though, has always been for a character like that and for a company like this, it's really, really hard to have everything built around this whole, oh, we don't do storylines. Everything is just in-ring action, in-ring action but we don't have a fighting champion. We have a champion who is more of that classic heel mold who comes out and makes every excuse why he can't wrestle and and when he does wrestle half the time it's him doing the theatrics of why he's faking being hurt or he's he's avoiding action like again, I I love it on one level like I think he's he's so so damn talented for his age and but I also have that never ending sense that he may actually not be bluffing when he says he's going to take his talents to WWE when his contract expires. And or he may really just be kind of pining to get into movies. And after the Iron Claw comes out and people get kind of a taste to him on a grander scale, you know, he might actually just be kind of good with it, especially for having accomplished as much as he is at his age. Uh, I mean, I never thought I would say this at this point in time, but I was really rooting for Sammy to take that title that night. And, uh, you know, I kind of stand by it. I think he's actually more of an embodiment of the kind of characters that AEW is trying to cultivate. So, uh, but that's my two cents. And, and certainly I didn't buy the pay per view. So maybe there's a reason for that.
1: Yeah, I, I think you make a really good point. Um, that he also may kind of be pining for that concept of being an attraction. You know, I, I can't help but think he's seen, you know, how like The Rock and Cena. You know, once you kind of get into being a Hollywood guy, every time you come back, you're that much bigger. You know, the the more you stay away, the hotter you get. So I wouldn't be shocked if he was smart enough to know that. You know, a guy like Brock and Cena and you know even though he didn't go to Hollywood but like Brock the more you're a limited attraction the more you're probably going to get paid and the less toll it's going to take on you and you know he seems like a smart guy when it comes to the pillars match I, I, I agree with you just in the sense that like I think when you look at the four pillars it's kind of like I think we both are in the same spot with Darby that it would just be tough because I think he's he's meant to be a working wrestler but it doesn't work to have your champion just every match like he's getting the shit kicked out of him again. Oh, he guts it out. You know, I think Jack Perry, I think is probably still a little green in all honesty. You know, I think he can carry the belt, but I think he's kind of got to have that Rey Mysterio deal where it's like, he's so quick and so explosive, but the Mike skills are still a work in progress. And once again, you know, we're talking about massively young performers, but yeah, I think Sammy's kind of the guy that you're right in it he can be a a fighting champion and he doesn't have to work from underneath. He's athletic enough. He's God. And, you know, you want to talk about going from one heel to another, like when, when they do that shtick though, they may back off it since him and his wife are expecting a child. Like, I don't know how much you want people vehemently booing a pregnant woman, but I guess if (laughs) anyone was going to try something to really push the envelope, maybe, maybe that's the, the moment, but. So no, I agree with you. I think my only thought was, and maybe this is just their, I don't know if I would call it their fear with MJF, but it felt like this was the kind of thing you could have done such a longer build and story with. I mean, you could have had all these four guys mixing and matching and, you know, they kind of did it where, like, Sammy's supposed to work with MJF, but it just, like, exploded in the, you know, passing of two episodes. Like, you practically could have done, like, an Evolution, you know. Oh, you know, Sammy, help me! I got to make sure I beat Darby on this pay per view, and then he kind of, you know, thumbs downs him, and something happens. So I, I did feel like it was a little rushed in the storytelling, which leads to kind of the next thing of, and this guy I know has been a little bit divisive for you, but uh Adam Cole, baby, like, what, what do you think about him getting the main event shot?
0: I, you know, look there's always going to be figures like that. And what I say is Adam Cole does have, despite, you know, not having the best wrestling body, despite not having the best in ring talent, despite, you know, having kind of a cheesy gimmick, even he has that it factor. And that is not a case of Nepo. That is a hundred percent him just putting in the time and figuring it out. And he's got that. So, and and I do think that the returning champion angle always is fun, anytime, especially coming back from major injury. And they certainly have been really, really pushing that that component of it as well. Um, to be determined, you know. I, I my concern anytime Adam Cole gets brought up is because, like, I know that like there's all the Bullet Club stuff that loves to get bandied about, and and my that that's just going to become the new shtick. Is just like he'll become the big guy with the bullet club, you know, America, and and they'll sell a bunch of merch and he'll do a bunch of, you know, promos and fit YouTube videos, playing video games, at, you know, and making fun of things. And, and that's fine. Like I, but those are also the elements that like concern me with AEW's growth is that I think that they inhibit the growth of a lot of their young, great talent because of the structure we, we keep talking about. Uh, that they rely too heavily on the mjfs the adam coles the cm punks the john moxley's who are good on the mic and who have a built cultivated personality over years and years of doing their thing and now have even more mediums to go out and share said personality but as a result i feel like you're kind of bury a lot of these other figures who don't really get much of a chance to do anything but put on spot fest matches over and over and over again. So, and you know, and they just kind of rely on them. It's like, Oh, we'll build your brand through social media or do that. And it's like, well, then you end up with characters like Darby Allen, where it's like, it seems like he wants to do everything, but wrestle and they'll show up and do some crazy shit and jump off a ladder just to remind you that he cares about wrestling. But then he go, you know, really, he's just getting the shit kicked out of him. Like you said, for, for, for 90 or 30 minutes and then busts out a coffin drop and we call it good. Like, so, but uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm torn on that one. Like I said, it's, I get it. Like he's so over and, and people love him. So you got to push that when you got it. But um, I don't really think that he's another, there's a long-term answer there. I, I really think that he's a guy that if he were to hold a strap, the longer he holds it, the more exposed he gets is, not really being that good at, at in-ring stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I also kind of, uh, I guess for the MJF thing, I feel like he he needs a, I kind of want him to get a stable again, just from the working the plot point forward. Because I think that while it's a little bit of a, I guess a, a well-played trope, I think it always works well when you've got a heel and you kind of get to do the like, Mortal Kombat style like you gotta work your way up like you know I think that like it's part of like what's made like Jericho's stuff work so well is that he's just always had these various degrees of flunky where it's like right now he's got you know whatever horrible Matt Maynard cool daddy slick whatever that it's like this guy is the real joke and it's like okay he's gonna get beat in a hurry but then you like work your way up and all of a sudden it's like Jack Swagger the Goro of the group So that you're at least kind of getting some matches out of it. Whereas, you know, right now with MJF, it feels like it's just this constant promo fest. Cause I think you're right with Cole where it's like, you know, the crowd feeds off him so much. And, you know, once again, even I'll admit, you know, just the stuff with his song and everything, the boom and the Adam Cole baby, like, it's hard not to get into that a little bit, but it's always going to work better when he's going out to stare someone down across the ring. So I think that would be something that I'd probably like to see, just like we said, from a little bit of a, a storyline and action point. But I think you make a good point that they're, they're kind of struggling to find like a real threat to MJF. Cause I'm even kind of, I hadn't thought of this until this very moment, but it's like, who is going to be the like, the threat to take the belt off and, Cause I can't think of really a natural like, foil like there was kind of the him and punk thing but clearly that's that's booked and i think that would be a disastrous move if you tried to shotgun punk into the to get the belt to fight omega when you don't need a belt to make that important so who who could you actually see being a a legitimate uh challenger to actually win the belt when the time comes
0: that's an excellent question and it is really really hard to determine um because again like we talked about there's so many of the figures that are like like when i think of like an orange cassie who's another figure who's very over everyone loves his chick and you know he's even talking a bit here and there now and you know kind of not only being saddled with the best friends but at the same time it just it wouldn't work like because he just had that extended run with the tnt title and it's such a huge leap to go from that to being the face of the program. I, I, I'm in. If I had to guess, anybody I could see it being Danielson, um, only because he's obviously kind of entering into his swan song, and it would be almost a shame given how how good he's been, even at his advanced age, in all of his his events with AEW, uh, to not at least hold a title uh, for a stretch of time, which and also. Honestly, like, I would love nothing more than to see him and Omega actually get to settle said feud, you know, with that on the line at some point. But uh, that may be wishful thinking on my part, because I can't think of any of the young up and comers who aren't either saddled with weird side stories with factions or what have you, or are members of, you know, other organizations that would make them not a true title holder or you know, yeah, you're right. Like, there's really no way. Like, the closest threat I thought was either Sammy Guevara, just because the talent would win out, or I guess an Adam Cole. But it, again, I feel like you give him the belt, and then it just becomes more of the kind of the same. Because I don't think that he's next necessarily a guy who can go every night either. And and I think what they really need is a true fighting champion.
1: Yeah, I think I think Danielson's a great call because um, you're right. I think that there's it's just one of those things where while I don't necessarily, I think it would kind of be fan service in the sense that I think Danielson is more concerned about just wrestling than getting like the gold star on his uh, his resume at this point. But with that said, I think everyone would just be like, no, we when we talk about the history books of this company and you know, inevitably we want to put you in our Hall of Fame. We want to make sure we have you know. AEW champion on there and not just like good guy. The one that came to mind that I they they ran once, but maybe they would run back that I could see is I feel like that could be a great case after MJF has really held the title and gotten more insufferable. That maybe that's when you finally put Ricky Starks over. Cause he's mm-hmm. kind of the one guy that I think, yeah, it's I when I thought of that, I was like, oh, that could be it. Because he's he's capable on the mic. I think MJF is great because he's like definitely uh, he's put on a lot of mass through, you know, no need to get into the means as Adam Cole was, you know, (laughs) pointing out. But he's gotten big. But I think that, you know, he'd be a great size for a guy like Stark because he's not going to make it comically like, oh, he's fighting Wardlow. He looks small, but he's going to be able to get in. But I think that could be a great one because, you know, I think everyone feels like Ricky's that that star in the making And if you're Tony Khan and you you know a lot of people have made the the rock parallels which I think it's kind of the case that if you're if you're gonna try to rip someone's kind of shtick and gimmick off and you can even half pull it off you may as well go with the guy that turned his you know wrestling career into the biggest star in Hollywood so I think he could be one but once again yeah that's uh that's a way down the line this this was kind of a random fantasy booking that I just stumbled into but uh yeah, I think we can both kind of agree that it doesn't seem like uh, Cole's the guy that this is kind of the. I think it's almost kind of a uh, a feeling of when we were talking about those cast-offs and how they could you know do the false promises of Tony Khan. I kind of feel like that's what this is for Cole, where it's like, hey man, th-, you know, congrats on getting back from your injury. You're gonna headline a pay per view. You're not gonna win, but you get the headline. That's that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and you know, I, I, it's always worth noting too that I, I think they intentionally had him and Britt uh win the owen hart uh invitational the inaugural one uh kind of is the like hey we're not really gonna run you with the belts for a bit even though you're clearly both so over so here's an accolade to have on your resume because again it's ultimately building that because i respect the fact they don't you know move the title around titles around a lot you know I, I, that's fair but as a result, you do kind of have to feed those that are producing. And, you know, both of them are so over again that, you know, it makes sense to give them something, um, you know, it may be with MJF too. Uh, one, I, when you mentioned Starks, cause I think in, in terms of a peer that and a young talent that that's the choice by far. Um, but maybe it just starts with like the, the uh, diamond ring first stuff. Like maybe that's the initial kind of like weakening moment. Like, you know, the first time he's, he's faced a loss and how long or whatever. And, and just kind of, you can add that to his layer of character where all of a sudden he's missing this thing that he's used to knock so many people out and his dastardly moves. And, you know, just kind of all the promos of him, like, you know, feeling naked without it, despite the fact he still has the belt. Like maybe you do that. And plus, you know, Starks could run with that too. So, um, I I forget when they put that thing on the line. I, I think it may be an annual tournament, but you know it's professional wrestling. You can change it all on the fly if you want, anyway.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And you know, kind of m- moving along once again. You brought up Brit. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on the women's division right now? I think it's something that we've kind of been varyingly critical of over. You know the duration of AEW, but we've got—I guess—we've had two new champions since we talked. Uh, we had the unfortunate real-life injury to Jamie Hader, which uh, cut her reign short. Though it does give me hope that I think, if you want to think about a a, a pop that we're going to see coming back, I think hers will be great. But uh, Tony Storm and the Outcast taking the title—how are you feeling about that?
0: I—it's I, the only thing that could save that division, to be honest. Is you know having that healed, you know, faction and trying to give some reason. Like I, I've said this before, and it, I, it always ticks me off because it, it happens in almost every wrestling organization I've seen. But for whatever reason, they always make it so the baby faces in the women's division, for whatever reason, are all friends. And that's why it always disappointed me. Like I like in the men's where they'll do bookings where it's like, yeah, it may be two baby faces teaming up but they'll still kind of hate each other or they'll still have a rivalry with the person they're teaming up with. So you don't really get that. It always seems like in the women's division, whenever they book it, it's like, okay, well we're going to do this hodgepodge trios thing against these outcasts. And now they're all best friends, you know, even though they just did a match like a week ago and they were attacking each other, like with barbed wire and what have you. So I I think in this case, because they're running the invasion angle again, it's the only thing I can think of to try to like build towards something. I do. I think they'll muck it up probably, but it's on the other side. Then you have what's going on with the TBS title. And I just, I'm very terrified over there because again, you're, you're dealing with a champion who's a class above anyone else. And potentially another figure who now that their unbeaten streak is over, may not have much to offer so um yeah I, I think as much as it's boring in booking like i do think like it's really the only way to keep that division somewhat compelling in my eyes what about you though danimal I, i'm curious at your thoughts on it
1: you know i i gotta say that i do feel like uh as i was talking about hater coming back and the inevitable pop that that'll bring i think the kind of the little proof in the pudding was that the chris statlander uh, Pop ended up being so great and you know you for a long time pegged her as the one to beat Jade and to your point I think part of it was the physicality that they built Jade up as just being you know heads and shoulders and I, I think they did a good job of booking her you know against opposition that generally she really did kind of you know dwarf in size they didn't put her up against some of the more formidable women for that purpose um, so I'm I'm really excited to see that but I think to your point of being a little nervous, there is a part of me that is worried that they're still kind of keeping her with the best friends. I think we'd both been kind of excited when she went down with the injury that it seemed like she was getting a little edgier that she was, you know, kind of breaking out on her own. And so now there is this part of me, cause I think it's always tough when you're doing the, the baby face powerhouse. Cause I think you kind of get into that, you know, obviously the biggest example is, you know, Cena, or it was just like, a you know big match john and he always battles back in the five moves of doom but it is kind of one of these things where it's like okay if that's the case then it's you put her against you know i, I think recently she went up against the and i'll give credit to the improved in the ring and shockingly get a hardcore uh and a jay but it's like you know you're kind of gonna have to run this shtick where it's always going to be some kind of dastardly you know issue that she'll have to overcome so i i think you're right where it's like yeah you can give her some squashes and maybe that's where they take advantage of a little of the face first face but i think to your point they'll always kind of end up doing the like oh but we're still friends thing where it's like no you know you can you can dislike each other and have it be that you're both good wrestlers you just you know happen to not use underhanded tactics and that's that's fine um yeah and I, I think you're right with the outcasts. I think there's a part of me that just I don't know if it's it's worry but I feel like they're just trying to figure out what to do with Soraya because it's like they brought her out as kind of like this big deal but then I think between ring rust and probably a, a natural inclination though you know want to be careful with you know what's still a really young woman who had some really scary injuries but as a result it's like I, I feel like they're kind of short and short and tony a little bit who in all rights you know has a lot of talent and a lot of charisma so to kind of put her as the champion but sitting in the background it it makes me wonder if they're you know at some point going to have the, the group implode but i i just don't know to what point purpose so i think you're right that for right now the the, the faction's a good call I, I do feel like we're still seeing a bit of a, a rudderless division with really the only thing that's kind of working is that you have Britt baker kind of carrying the aew banner but then it's a little odd because if you have her fighting the outcast inevitably the big boss is storm and giving Britt the belt back which i think is kind of you know a, a waste of one of the hottest talents so yeah i i'm with you that while i'm happy to have Tatlander back i I don't necessarily feel like they've really found their, their groove yet.
0: Yeah. The stat one's going to be tough. And I totally agree. Like nothing is worse than like the, the comical powerhouse. Um, That's where I was kind of glad, even though it was a bit lazy booking to get to Keshta with the Blackpool combat club where it's, you know, again, you have to have that bit of edge if you're going to be the going for those big time power moves. And, In Statlander's case, yeah, like I said, I I was appreciating that move and it almost comes across like that she got the extension. And so now like doesn't have to keep doing the character work. She can just kind of pal around with her own equivalent of the clique of, you know, just, you know, the best friends and and not really have to do much because she gets the pop. She obviously is beloved by the fan base. So, um, which, yeah, I mean, good for her. She earned it. I'm super stoked that she's the title holder, but I also don't really know who's ever going to like go to war with her. (laughs) Like if anything, like if there was a a talent in the women's division that eventually could start really pushing the intergender matches, like it it was definitely Chris Stantlander and and still may, but, um, but now with her holding the title, I, I just see a lot of Willow Nightingales and, you know, those kind of matches on the horizon. Um, You know, it. what I would love to see with, again, because the Outcasts are doing kind of the invasion angle, I would love to see some sort of hodgepodge group taken on, because I know they tried to do the whole Jamie Hader and Brit now as their baby faces, and they kind of team up with, you know, people they rivaled with before, because again, they're all best friends, but like, how fun would it be if it was literally just like a combination of like, Thunder Rosa, (laughs) Jade Cargill, and like, abaddon (laughs) that like came out and just like threw the outcast for such a loop in every regard because it's just like these are three things that don't belong together and just like work that way like but i don't know that if they would ever do it like again i just foresee a lot of situations where it's like you know now it'll be bunny and penelope ford and some indie talent that nobody's ever heard of and they'll all be hugging now and yeah Uh, it's, it's a, it's a mess right now.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's kind of one of those, one of those deals where we'll continue to hope they find their footing. Um, Well, my, my anonymous general manager is telling me I got to wind it down. Any uh, last items that are standing out to you right now that uh, any takes or thoughts or perhaps your famous tinfoil hat can find its spot on your head?
0: Well, if I'm going to give you a quick tinfoil hat theory before we call it here, I'll I'll say that with the finally announced release of AEW Fight Forever, the video game, I'm convinced that that's part of the reason we have figures like Soraya on roster, because it is a matter of like I already teased before that like there's that element of trolling Vince with being able to have all these a hall of fame talent on your roster so that you can induct them into your hall of fame and they're forever synonymous with your company as well. But I think on top of that, being able to have figures, if this video game takes off, like it has potential to do in, especially in the era of streaming. Now, the fact that you could bring out all of these characters, like Sor- a Soraya, a Tony storm, you know, all these former WWE talents that, um, we're really, really sticking to them because it, again, it's over time. It's just that roster keeps continuing to grow with uh, very notable figures. And um, again, they may not be great in their current iteration, but I'm really looking forward to this time in a month when I can log in and play as Mark Henry versus Jeff Hardy in their prime and be able to relive some of the glory days of, of my youth in wrestling.
1: That I really like. I also love the idea of having, like, a toggle switch or something where it's, like, you can have, like, late career, then, like, classic so-and-so, so it would just be, like, you know, announcer Mark Henry, and it's, like, him in kind of, like, the suit and smiling, but then it could be, like, prime Mark Henry, and it's just straight up, like, Paula Pain, like Mark Henry just like <laughs> absolutely like oh man like oh this is so fun oh man you've got like long-haired you know Paul White that's great just going back to his like giant gimmick and stuff so yeah that that could be a lot of fun so I'll definitely and, and I, I had seen a couple commercials but I'll have to do a little digging because I know that the the game is something that you've really been kind of interested in and i haven't done much much looking so i'll have to kind of check out some of the gameplay and see see how
0: it's looking all i know is that obviously kenny omega is a huge gamer and kind of was responsible for a lot of it um who i her name's evading me at the moment but um the local gal who's does the refereeing um, oh ref aubrey yeah ref aubrey she does the um she went to digipen here uh, which was Nintendo's uh school for coding and what have you, and she did some work with it. And they dug up the guy who did all those old WCW, WWF, N64 games, all the best wrestling games from those. Oh, yeah,
1: the, the THQ games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. They dug
0: up the guy who made those to actually do the guts of the game. So, I, I mean, purely from an entertainment standpoint, I'm excited. It'll probably be dog shit. I'm not going to lie. But there's also the part of me that, if I can fire it up and select John Moxley's old comb over hair, I, I I'm sold.
1: No, nah, that, that sounds great. Well, Matt, I greatly appreciate you uh, jumping on with me again. Hopefully we'll be able to do this a little sooner and then uh, we can preview some of the
0: upcoming stuff. All right. Sounds like a plan. All right. right, has been Hollywood brunettes wrestling podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.